Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ again, and I am so glad that you have joined us today as we study God's Word to learn more about Him, to learn more about His Word, to learn how to glorify and serve Him. In the lesson that you're about to hear, we're going to take a look at Psalm 19. What a wonderful psalm it is. David demonstrated that he was devoted to the Word of God. And when we take a look at why, we will not be able to help ourselves. We'll have to be devoted to that same Word. Please, open your copy of the Word of God with me. Turn to Psalm 19, and let's learn why we ought to be devoted to God and His glorious Word. What would you do? If you received a letter from the president, especially the president that you liked, or perhaps the Queen of England, would you just crumple it up and chuck it in the trash? Or do you think you'd keep it so that you could read it again and again? What about putting it in a frame? Would you, would you put it in a frame maybe and hang it on the wall or put it on a coffee table or something so that when people came to your house they might see that you had actually received word from the president? Let me ask some of the sisters. What about love notes? Do any of you still have those love notes from back when you were dating? That man who irritates you now? still tucked in a drawer somewhere and just every once in a while you pull them out and you read them just to remember what he could be like? Now I want to ask you, what if you received a letter from the most powerful being in existence demonstrating his love and his care and his concern for you? What would you do with that? That is, in fact, exactly what we have received here in the Scripture. We've received a letter from the most powerful being in the universe, expressing His love for us, expressing His concern for us, expressing His will for our lives, expressing His instruction for how we can get along in this world that He has created. If you look in Psalm 19, Psalm 19 describes the Word of God and what an amazing description it is. You'll remember last week as we talked about Satan stalking us, we read from Psalm 18, just the psalm prior to this, and it talked about God being our deliverer. And it talked about how David had set God's statutes before him and didn't put them away from him. And then the very next psalm is one that glorifies those statutes, those, that word from God. But notice the first six verses. Before he starts talking about the word of God, he starts talking about the God of the word. And he says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them He has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run His course." 
its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. David begins this psalm about the Word of God talking about God because it's this God that gave us the Word. Think about how amazing and powerful that is. The sun. How powerful and amazing is the sun. And yet our God is the one who created that. Our God is the one who has established its course in the heavens. At night, do you ever go out and look beyond all the smog and pollution that's around us and try to see the stars that are still out there? And just the massive, expansive nature of the universe? Our God is the one who created that. Our God is the one who set that in motion. And every night when we see that, it is singing forth the glory of how amazing our Creator is. Every day, as we experience the weather and the forces of nature, as we witness the sun crossing the sky, it sings forth the glory of our God. And that God is the one who looked down and saw us. Pitiful, weak, little people on this little bitty speck of dust in the massive expanse of His amazing universe. And He sent His Son to die for us. And He gave us His Word so that we could enjoy that sacrifice. When we give thought to that, is there any way that we could be anything other than devoted to God's Word. In Psalm 19 and verse 10, he says of God's Word, they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Just think about what David said there for a moment. He said, if you put a pile of gold over here and God's Word over there and said that I only got to have one of them, David said, I'm going to choose God's Word. That's how awesome it is. And as you look at what David says about God's Word there in verses 7 through 9, we'll recognize that truly it is the Word to which we ought to be devoted. When we consider what it is, and what it does for us, and what it provides, how could we be anything less than devoted to the Word which God has given us to deliver us from the tempter, from our enemy who stalks us. Let's examine what David says here in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. And I have no doubt that with each line we could probably make an entire sermon, but we're going to try to be brief and just take a look at the summary of what David says and just be amazed that the God of heaven has given this to us, for us, to help and deliver us. What an amazing grace and mercy that is. Before we look at it, would you bow with me, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are absolutely humbled that you, the great power behind the universe, have condescended to look to us with grace and mercy, that you have provided a word for us that delivers us, 
that restores us, that strengthens us, enlightening our eyes, rejoicing the heart, comforting us. Father, we pray that You will strengthen us and deliver us from the distractions of the devil, that we will devote ourselves to Your doctrine, to Your teaching, to Your Word. We thank You for Your love, Father, and we love You. And we pray that You would help us to realize that You have not given us the Bible as a homework assignment, as a checklist item to read off once or twice a day, but rather as the tool by which we might be delivered and by which we might experience the glories of heaven with You for eternity. Father, we love You and we thank You for Your Son whose sacrifice makes it all possible. And we pray that You strengthen us always to look to His sacrifice, to remember what You've done for us, to realize that You do love us and that we'll love You as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Psalm 19, verses 7-9, through 9, the Scripture there reads, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. David begins his discussion by talking about the law of the Lord. The term here, law of the Lord, David begins with the comprehensive word that, that comprehends the entirety of what God has revealed. And while I think we need to recognize that as, as you look at these six synonyms for God's Word, we can't make too much out of that. It's not like we're talking about one part of the Word with one synonym and one part with the other, but each term does shed a little different light on God's Word. Here he's using that term that just talks about it in its entirety. It reminds me of 2 Timothy 3.16 in, in the covenant we're under, where Paul said, all Scripture is inspired by God. David, when he wrote Psalm 19, he was thinking of the law of Moses, the covenant God had given them. As we go back and adopt Psalm 19 for ourselves, we recognize that it's not the law of Moses, but the entirety of what God has revealed. That law being fulfilled in the new law. And the law that we are under. As he continues to talk about that law of the Lord, he says that it is perfect. That it is, that is, it is blameless. It is without spot. It is without blemish. And I, and I recognize you. And this is for another study, but just to point out, I'm not talking about that, that the translations that we have today aren't without some fault. I'm just pointing out that God's original word, what He had revealed to man, is perfect. It is blameless. It is without blemish. Back in Psalm 18, very interestingly, in verse 30, it said, as for God, His way is blameless. The same word there is translated blameless that is perfect in our text. The Word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. The perfect, blameless God has given us His perfect and blameless will. Interestingly, as such, this is the tool by which God will make us blameless, perfect, complete, without blemish. There in Psalm 18 and verse 32, that God whose way is blameless, it says, the God who girds me with the strength makes my way blameless. The law of the Lord has been given to us and it is perfect. 
Therefore, it can make us blameless. You'll remember in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, where Paul said, All Scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, or as some translations say, perfect or complete, equipped for every good work. That's what the Word of God can do for us. Because it is perfect, it can make us complete and perfect and blameless, equipped for every good work. But he says the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. When the soul is fallen, when the soul is distressed and discouraged, defeated perhaps by the devil, it's the Word through which we can find restoration. God's law restores the soul. We read Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, we read beginning at verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the quiet waters. He restores my soul. And when we read that in Psalm 23, we get all these wonderful pastoral images and it's just so comforting and we just love that. But we must not forget that Psalm 19 demonstrates the tool by which God accomplishes that. So when we talk about our souls being restored by the Word, we feel like that's dead and lifeless. And oh man, that means I have to study and read. But... Well, we love it when it talks about our shepherd restoring us. Let's just remember that when we're opening this up, we're reading the words of our shepherd who restores our souls. Are you defeated, downtrodden, discouraged? How much time are you spending in the law of the Lord, which is perfect, restoring the soul? I tell you, God's Word is indeed more to be desired than fine gold and sweet honey. He continues on. Now he talks about the testimony of the Lord. Very interestingly, if you've ever read the book of Job, the great majority of the book is Job crying out, God, testify of yourself. Give witness of yourself. Explain yourself. Tell me why this is going on. At the end of it, God basically tells Job, look, buck up, obey me. You don't understand what's going on. And in Job 42, Job repents and says, I think you're right. But very interestingly, as David talks about the Word of God, what he demonstrates is that that thing that Job was crying out for is exactly what we have right here. This is God's testimony of Himself. This is God testifying to us, here is who I am. Here is how you can love me. Here is why I do what I do, to the extent that we can possibly understand that. This is His testimony. You know, it's good for us to ask preachers and theologians to explain God to us, but if we really want to know God, there is only one way. We need to get into his personal testimony. The autobiography that he has given us of himself and of his work and of his desire for us in our lives. This is his testimony. As he described that testimony, he said that the testimony is sure. The testimony of God is sure. It is established. It's founded like, like a house on a rock. That the storms come and prevail, but nothing happens. Because it is sure. Psalm 93 and verse 5. Psalm 93. In Psalm 93 and verse 5, the Scripture there says, Your testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. His testimonies have been 
confirmed. They are sure. They are established. If you look in Psalm 111, Psalm 111 and verse 7, the works of His hands are truth and justice. All His precepts are sure. As He continues on, the psalmist said, they are upheld forever and ever. Nothing can shake them. They are grounded. They are founded. They are sure. And will continue on as 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 22 says, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, Peter wrote, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. It endures forever. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Desire this pure and sure milk of the Word, because it's the testimony of the Lord that is sure, and it makes wise the simple. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul told Timothy, stick with the Scriptures you learn because it gives you wisdom unto salvation. But no doubt if the Scripture, if the testimony of the Lord is going to make us wise, we've got to be the humble, poor in spirit person that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I'll set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for a sign and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is where the wisdom is, and it will make us who are simple and weak wise. The precepts of the Lord. The precepts of the Lord. If you look in Psalm 119, we'll find that the precepts of the Lord are considered very much like a road map that describes the way that the Lord would have us go. In Psalm 119 and verse 27, it says, Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I'll meditate on your wonders. If you look in Psalm 119, verses 100 and 101, it contrasts the precepts with the false way. So you've got God's way versus the false way. He says, I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. And then in verse 28, Therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. The precepts of the Lord, it's, it's the road map. It's the directions that God has given us. As Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. It's what's shining the way brightly for us so we know which way to travel. 
from here to the goal. What's the goal? Heaven. This is the road map. And what does he say? He said, the precepts of the Lord are right. If you look in Psalm 107, in verse 7, I think it's very interesting that this word in Psalm 107, and verse 7, He led them also by a straight way. The straight way. He said, this is the way to go. It's the straight way. It's the shortest distance between two points. That's what we have here. You follow this, and this is the easiest route you have to get to the goal, to heaven. Have you ever asked two people that are standing next to each other for directions, especially if they're husband and wife? Tell me, tell me how to get there. And they'll start to, oh yeah, you just go down here and go down there. No, 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 no. That is not how you get Well, I mean, I guess you could get there that way, but you're going way out of the way. Here's what you need. You need to go down this way. No, no. They closed that road, remember? Aside from that, and on it goes. Well, when we ask the Lord for directions, there's no argument. There's no, there's no question. These are the right directions. The straight way. The shortest distance between the two points. And we can argue with God about it. We can get upset about what it says, but all we're going to do is make it harder for ourselves. Because His precepts, His, His statutes, His way, they're right. They are rejoicing the heart. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do we want the joy and comfort that comes with being in Christ? It's right here. We have to find it in here. The precepts, the directions of Christ, these are what rejoice the heart. And if I tell you what, if we rebel against that, if we're constantly bucking against that, if we're constantly saying to ourselves, I know what the Bible says, but I think in my situation this is what's going to be better, it's not going to rejoice our hearts. We might have some pleasure for a few moments, but it's not going to provide the comfort and the rejoicing that we're needing and wanting and desiring over the long run because it is Christ's Word. It's God's Word. It's His precepts that are right and rejoice the heart that provide that comfort. The commandment of the Lord. Interestingly, as David talked about the Word, he didn't call it the suggestion of the Lord, the advice of the Lord. It's the commandment of the Lord. I'll tell you what, we take a look at that God described in verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 19, who has placed the tent for the sun, who's the one that set it in motion. That God has the right to command us. That God has the right to tell us how to live our lives. He is our Creator. He is our Sustainer. And He has the authority to command us and tell us how to live. To be our Captain and to provide that type of instruction. But it says that His commands are pure. And I think this is important. The idea of purity here is that idea of sincerity. And perhaps you've heard the definition that sincerity is that idea of without wax. Because it came from... When you had these old statues and they were trying to sell them, sometimes they would patch up the cracks with wax to make it look like it was complete and it was whole and there's nothing broken with it. If it was sincere, if it was pure, it was without wax. It was sincere. That's what the Word of God is. Sadly, there are a lot of folks who want to command us that don't have our best interests at heart. There's a lot of wax covering up the cracks in their desires because really they're wanting to manipulate and mold and, and, and use us for their ends. But he says God's commands are pure. They are sincere. They're without wax. They have our best interests at heart. And they enlighten the eyes. Now that's just an odd phrase. Enlightening the eyes. But look in Psalm 13 and verse 3. In Psalm 13 and verse 3, David says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. 
When David talked about the eyes being enlightened, he was talking about life. When the eyes are dulled and dim, they're dead. Enlighten my eyes. Strengthen me. Give brightness to my eyes that I might be alive. Otherwise, I'm going to die, Lord. And in Psalm 19, he points out that the means by which God does enlighten our eyes is by His commands. Sadly, for too many of us, the commands of God or commands of anyone we find to be restrictive. And, and uh, we think they produce death in our lives. But what David said is they produce life. They produce liberty. It's by His commandments that our eyes are enlightened and brightened. David continued on pointing out that he's talking about the fear of the Lord. This is an odd one in this list of synonyms. David here using metonymy is not just talking about the Word itself, but, but it's talking about our response to it. The fear of the Lord. In Psalm 119, Psalm 119, I believe it's verse 35. Verse 38, excuse me. Psalm 119 and verse 38. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. A fear. David says the word is what produces the fear. Psalm 111 and verse 10. In Psalm 111 and verse 10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. I know it's not spiritually correct in our modern society to talk about the fear of God. And if this was any other writer in the Old Testament, we might be tempted to say, oh, that's just the Old Testament. That's just, you know, if it was one of those prophets that was always getting on to Israel because they were disobeying God and the judgment was coming, we might just, oh, that's just the Old Testament. That's for them. But this is David. Did anyone love God more than David? Did anyone understand God's love more than David? And yet he is the one that says to us, the fear of the Lord. The Word is what produces fear, reverence, awe bowing down before God. That's what the Word produces. But he says that the fear of the Lord is clean. Now, the purity that we talked about just moments ago, the purity that we talked about there, that was about sincerity. This cleanness has to do with the concept of, of being purified. Look back in Psalm 12. If you look back at Psalm 12, and verse 6. Psalm 12 and verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. It's like gold or silver that's been boiled and all those impurities have come out and they've been skimmed off the top. He said it's pure. There's no defect. There's no corruption in it. It's clean. Ceremonially, morally clean, and therefore it endures forever. Because there is no corruption, there is no decay. It is not like the grass that withers or fades, First Peter chapter 1 that we read just moments ago. It's not like us who decay and die and our bodies get put in the ground and it just 
fades away to ashes and dust. It's clean without corruption and therefore it endures forever. And what a great comfort that is. No doubt as we study the Word, we might find out that we misunderstood and we have to change, but God's Word does not change. What saved men when Peter was writing in 1 Peter chapter 1 is the same thing that saves us today. What God expects back then under this covenant is the same thing that He expects of us today. We don't have to worry that one Sunday we're going to come in here and find out, guess what? God's changed everything. We thought we had to do it this way, but now we have to do it another way. Sometimes we have to change to be what God said, but we don't ever have to worry about God's Word changing on us. God's Word is clean. It endures forever. The judgments of the Lord. The judicial decisions of the Lord. As God has looked out over this world that He has created, He has recognized the kind of situations that we're going to find ourselves in, and He has made those decisions that this is how you live. This is how you act. This is how you respond to that. This is how you react to that. He's taken a look at our situations and our lives and He's provided us the guidance that we need to know how to navigate our way through this life. To know how to deal with our brethren. To know how to deal with our spouses, our kids, our parents. And that's not to say that it's not going to take study, that we don't have to grow, that we're not going to understand and we have all kinds of questions. I'm not saying that. It's just the point is that if we want to know how to live this life, if we want to know what God's judicial decisions for our lives are, it's right here. And it's not just us getting together and talking about how we feel or what we think. It's about getting in and knowing what God said and doing that because His judgments are true. When we deal with worldly judges, it's very sad because sometimes worldly judges, sometimes they'll even judge against what they actually believe because that's what it's going to take to have the political influence and the power and to be continued on and to further their career. But not so with God. God is not concerned about politics or power or influence. God is not concerned about popularity. What He says is true. His Word is true. Jesus said in John 17, Sanctify them in your truth. Your Word is true. His judgments are true. And as Abraham said to God as he was bargaining with him over Sodom in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25, will not the judge of the earth do what is right? What he has given us is right. It's true. And they are righteous altogether. All of his judgments are righteous. There are some of his judgments we don't like. There are some of his judgments we may not want to follow. There are some of his judgments that we think are old-fashioned. But what David says is his judgments are righteous altogether. They're not some that are more righteous than others. They are righteous altogether. The sum total of them is righteous and all of the judgments are righteous. They're right. And they will lead us in the paths of righteousness. Just as Psalm 23 talked about. This is the Word of God. And when we sing Psalm 19, think about that.
But as David continued in Psalm 19, he said, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. There's reward in this. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Keep me back, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. If we want to find the hidden faults, the ones we don't know about, if we want to be kept back from presumptuous sin, we've got to be in His Word. If we don't want sin to rule over us, we've got to be in His Word. Then I will be blameless. And I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. If we want the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart to be acceptable in Christ's sight, then the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart needs to be God's Word. O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer, how could we be anything but devoted to this. God's Word. When we're devoted to God, we will be. When God is our rock and our Redeemer and our Deliverer, we'll be devoted. Indeed, His Word is more to be desired than fine gold and sweet honey. I certainly hope this look at God's Word from Psalm 19 was beneficial and helpful to you. Let's remember what we learned. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. If you have any questions about God, His Word, or about the Franklin Church of Christ and how we're striving to honor God by obeying His Word, please give us a call at 615-794-2359, or you may reach us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson on audio tape or CD. If that's the case, please go to that website I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you can download in both audio and outline format. Use those in any way that you believe will draw you closer to God and help glorify Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.